Thank you. I uh, turned 45 yesterday, and I'm grateful. Yep. Uh, hey, number is, uh, number is just a thing. Halfway to 90 is what I've said. Let's do this. <laughs> um, we have been in a series called Rebuild for the month of May, and we're reading the book of Nehemiah. And as we make our way through it, uh, chapter 3 was called, actually it's chapter 3 and chapter 7. Chapter 7 is Richard Gandy's favorite chapter of the Bible. It has so many names. <laughs> and, I, and so if you're reading along, let me just encourage you, don't get, don't get caught up in trying to pronounce the names correctly. Feel free to, uh, to shorten them. One of the scholars that I was reading said that a lot of those are actually nicknames, they're surnames. So if you were to translate some of them into English, it's like Mr. Pug Nose. How about that? Mr. Stands Tall. And you think about what it is and how God is rebuilding in your life right now. And my guess is that, that throughout the course of your life, you've had several different names. And so, Michelle, I love what you celebrated tonight when someone can catch us doing the right thing and someone can call us by our true name. And here at Mercy Street, we want you to know your true name is God's beloved. That name has been spoken into you before you even took a breath. It will always be your name, God's true beloved. So just a quick recap on the series. I have a handful of notebooks left. If you haven't been here in previous weeks and you want uh, a little journal, please, um, while I'm speaking, just come forward and get it. The first week we asked the question, what is God rebuilding in your life? What is God rebuilding right now? And that there may be something that is kind of obvious to you right away. It may be a question that you are carrying with you throughout this entire month. It may be a question that you bring into your conversations, your prayer life with God, and then on November the 3rd, 2022, it's like things become clear what God is doing. That's how rebuilding works. It happens in stages. Last week, we asked the question, who is in your posse? And I uh, posited to you that posse is actually a medieval Latin legal term. Did you know that, Kristen Guinea? Well, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> the source of it, no, it, it meant a group that is charged with keeping the peace, that some person or entity of authority gives a posse the privilege and the power and the resources and the permission to work for peace. And so we ask the question, in the midst of what God is rebuilding in your life and in the world around you, who is the community? Who is it that is standing beside you to provide that permission, to provide the resources, to be able to speak truth to you and encouragement? Because friends, uh, this journey, this journey of life, of spirituality, of relationships, of recovery, of parenting, all of it, none of it is a solo journey. We need people around us. And tonight, what we're going to look at is the opposition that came against Nehemiah as he was rebuilding. And I'm going to talk about opposition tonight. There are probably many different types of opposition 
that are in the book of Nehemiah, tonight I'm going to offer, I kind of think, three kind of general categories that I think translate really a little too closely to our own lives. Because anytime there is something, there is momentum, there is a forward progress, there begins to be opposition to it. And sometimes it's external and sometimes it's internal. And what do you call it when it's internal? Sabotage. And we've all got that within us. So uh, I've asked Willie to come tonight and to read the scripture. He's actually going to read most of chapter four. If you'd give him some encouragement as he comes. Hello, Mercy Street family. My name is Willie, and I'm a grateful recovering addict. Uh, I was back there looking at this reading, and uh, I waste my water on it. And uh, I was, you know, I was nervous. You know, I've been around school teachers all my life, and think about Amber. She's sitting right in front of me, and, and um, I got nervous. Um, Nehemiah, the fourth chapter. 1 through the 18 verses, let us read together. Well, not read together, but read along with me uh, on the uh, screen. When Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he became angry and raged. He mocked the Jew, saying in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the things themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the pile of rubble, even though they are burned? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who is beside him, added, if even the fox climbs on whatever they build, their wall of stone will crumble. Listen, God, we are despised. Turn out their insults to us back on their head and make them like plunder in a captive land. Don't forgive their iniquity or blot out their sins from our sight, from your sight. They have thrown insults at the builders. We continue to build the wall. All of it was joined together, and it reached half of its intended height because the people were eager to work. Many plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to create a disturbance in it. So we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. But in Judah, it was said, the carrier's strength is, fought, is failing, for there is too much rubble. We are unable to rebuild the wall. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know or see anything, we can be in their midst and start to kill them. We'll stop the work. Now the Jews who were living near them came and said to us again and again, you must return to us. So I took up a position in the lowest part of the space behind the wall in an area. Then I stationed the people by families, and they had the swords, swords, spears, and bows. After reviewing this, I stood up and said to the officials, the officers, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember that the Lord is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Then our enemies heard that we had found out that God has spoiled their plans. So we all returned to doing our own work on the wall. But from that day on, 
Only half of, only half of my workers continued into construction while the other half held to spears, shields, bows, and body armor. The carriers did their work with a load in one hand and a weapon in the other. The builders built with swords fastened in their belts, and the trumpeters stayed by my side. Thanks for your prayers. <laughs> oh, shall we? Did you get a pretty good picture of what is going on here? The writer in the book of Ecclesiastes says, there is a time to build and a time to tear down, a, a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to give birth and a time to die. There's a time for killing and a time for healing, a time for tearing down and building up. I asked in the weekly email this week, but yeah, how do you know what time it is? <laughs> <laughs> the reality is what's going on here as Nehemiah is continuing a building project that had started 60 years prior. Now I'm from Louisiana, we call that I-10 construction. <laughs> but he was continuing the project that had begun 60 years earlier. They had rebuilt the temple and now they were beginning to rebuild the walls. They needed to rebuild the community. We'll come to that next week. But even in the midst of this time where they knew it was a time to rebuild, there was a lot that they had to battle against. There was opposition coming against them. If we were to keep reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there is a beautiful verse. It says this. I think it'll be on the screens. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14. Could we read this together? I know that whatever God does will last forever. It's impossible to add to it or take away from it. God has done this so that the people are reverent before him, before God. Amen. I know that whatever God does will last forever. I wish that what Nehemiah was rebuilding here was going to last forever, the walls. They wouldn't. They would crumble again. I wish that some of the relationships that God is in the process of rebuilding would be built and last forever. <laughs> but there'll be cracks again. As I said in week one, what God is rebuilding within us is that promise, that name that has been placed within us that you are my beloved. And things get built upon that bedrock. Relationships. <laughs> a career. But what God is doing deep within us, within our souls, and how that gets connected, that is going to last forever. And nothing can come against it, or destroy it, or thwart it. So before we dive into what the opposition is, or maybe how we participate in the opposition, yes, I said it, we need to remember that whatever God builds lasts forever. Now, if you've got your notebooks and, and you're making notes to write this question, what is the opposition right now in your life? You know, when I was uh, studying and, and um, I left my notebook on my kitchen island at home, but <laughs> as I was making notes, the first time I wrote the question, I didn't actually write the question that is up there. I wrote, who is the opposition? 
that's not a great question. I mean, I realized it was easier for some of the things that I feel opposed against that I was just naming people. And you know what that does? That then begins to create the enemy. It's us and them. And if this person would only get their act together, then everything would be fine. Am I alone in this? <laughs> so what is it? Perhaps there are a couple of people that you feel are opposing what is going on in your life, but what, what is it within them that is the opposition? And I think there are kind of, as I said, three categories of opposition that, that Nehemiah and those that were rebuilding the walls that they faced, and I think it applies for us today. Next slide. Did I give you that one, Boots? Yeah. I think there's three types. There's the opposition of disbelief. There's the opposition that it, it's just hard, that rebuilding is, uh, it's messy, and at times it feels impossible. And then sometimes the opposition is this, this force that just wants to dismantle. And for each of these, there, there's, a, there's an internal aspect to it and an external. First, the disbelief. Uh, I don't know if you caught it when Willie was reading the passage. Sanballat the Horonite, which we will come back to, very significant. But Sanballat is asking these questions. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to be able to restore things themselves? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the piles of rubble even though they are burned? There was this whole chorus around what they were doing as they were rebuilding the walls that just said, we don't think you have it in you. It's not possible. You all have been living in exile. You have no resources. I mean, sure, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, gave you a couple of dollars and put a, Venmoed you a little bit of money so that you could go to the Home Depot and get a few things. But you don't have enough resources to do this. You don't know what you're doing. This is voice of disbelief. Then his buddy Tobiah begins to, to pile on, and in one of the greatest throwing of shades in all of the Bible, Nehemiah 4, verse 3, it says, even if a fox climbs on whatever they build, their wall of stones will crumble. That means nothing to us. I can tell by your reaction. You're like, that sounds harmless. That was like ultimate shade. <laughs> What's that, Oscar? Yeah, exactly. That basically what a fox represented, you know, Jesus, when Herod keeps knocking on Jesus' door and is like, hey, why don't you come visit me? Tell me some of your stories. Show me some of your miracles. And Jesus says, that fox that one that wants to just take the small bit of truth that is going on and sow into it disbelief and doubt, someone that is shrewd and manipulative. So even if a fox comes and sits on that wall, it's going to crumble. I imagine there was a lot of back and forth on Twitter that day as the Jews were responding to them. And so sometimes in our own lives, there is this chorus of disbelief. You don't have it within you to do what you need to do. 
You don't have the resources or the smarts or enough experience. Fill in the blank. But there's this disbelief that if we listen to it too much, you can hear what the Jews were singing as they were building the wall. It's further down in verse 10. There was this chorus that they were singing, the carrier's strength is failing. There's too much rubble. We are unable to rebuild the wall. You got to fast forward a few chapters. Nehemiah listens to that song a little bit, but says, you guys need a new song in your heart. Ezra, the DJ, steps in and gives them a new one. But this chorus of disbelief, I don't even know if you're with me. I've spent so much time in Nehemiah. It's so good. But this chorus of disbelief can begin to lodge itself in your heart and in your mind. And you begin to believe it. You begin to believe that, that, that maybe you don't have it within you. That, that something like a fox or a jackal just circles around you waiting for you to mess up. And is wanting to catch you in your worst moment, not in your finest moment. And I think the response to this, this opposition of disbelief <laughs> is to come back to this verse that we just read together in Ecclesiastes 3.14. Whatever God is doing and rebuilding in your life, because God is doing something, it can't be dismantled. And there is the author and the creator of the universe that believes in you. And it's as close as your next breath. And within this room, there are a group of people that will hold a sword in one hand and a trowel or a shovel in the other and say, it's possible. I'm going to rebuild with you. So forget the haters. (laughs) Point number two, it's hard. It feels impossible. The circumstances seem to shatter your world. And and just as you place one stone on top of another, it it just seems impossible. As Willie was reading, there, there was this point in which the other nations are watching the wall be rebuilt and they say, golly, these, 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 these Jews, do they even know what they're doing? And, And they began to plot and to come against them. And in response to the difficulty, what, <laughs> to this opposition that it is hard, what the Jews did is they said, we got to call our neighbors, we got to call one another, and we've got to ask for help. In the midst of rebuilding, when it feels hard and impossible, just know it is hard. Nothing is impossible with God. And so when the Jews in Nehemiah called for help and the nation saw that they were kind of shoring up their insecurities, they began to be amazed and they stood down. Friends, there is power in community. There is power in asking for help. And so when it feels hard and impossible, just name it. And then lastly, there is an opposition that only wants to dismantle. Jesus said it this way, there is a power at work within this world that only comes to steal and kill and? Sometimes uh, in church and in teaching, we locate that on the devil. 
And I do believe there is a power that is at work to steal and to kill and destroy. I don't think it has horns, a tail, and a red leotard. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say never. <laughs> you know the little cartoon where you've got an angel on your shoulder, and the devil on your shoulder, and we're going to listen to the angel or the devil. I've got a power at work within me that fights against what is good in my life. It's part of the price and the rent of being human. <laughs> but the longer that, that we pay attention to the reality of that which is sometimes internal that just wants to sabotage and to destroy, the more that we pay attention to it, ironically enough, it begins to lose its power. So Jesus says, there is one that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but behold, I have come to bring life. And not a sprinkle of life, abundant life, overflowing life. And so for the opposition of whatever God is rebuilding in your life right now that is internal, that is, that is kind of that self-doubt that just wants to dismantle because... Maybe rebuilding and restoration and healing is a little scary. <laughs> it's to lay down that weapon and to pick up the trowel, the shovel, the building instrument. Last point before I get to my final point. <laughs> some of us some in our community you are trying to rebuild right now and the community that, that, that you are in or that you've been in or that you've spent a lot of time in and it could be your family system it could be your circle of friends they're playing a game of Jenga with what you're building and for every stone that you are putting on, they're coming behind you and trying to remove one. Quietly. Stealthily. A little bit like a fox. It's okay to walk away. It's scary. But it's okay to walk away. And that's why it's important to find a community like this, which is not a community of perfection, but it's a community in which we have all trotted through hard times, grief, loss, the loss of a relationship, a job, a dream, our sobriety. There are those of us that have been behind bars that you can see and others that you can't see, but it's just as crippling. Friends, it's okay to leave a circle that just wants to dismantle. You deserve more. God has more in mind for you. That was my last point, now my final point. <laughs> Sanballat the Horonite. If you read throughout Nehemiah, this guy is just like the king of opposition. 
left and right, he is coming at Nehemiah and the Jews. Some of it's because he's been living in the land while they were gone in exile. He's had to do a lot of things that these folks who are just showing up new to the scene, he's been in the room for 30 years. They're just walking in just now. Oh, I stepped on a toe. <laughs> Sanballat the Horonite would have been born at the base of a mountain called, just totally forgot it. <laughs> Gerizim, there it is. <laughs> Lord, help me. He would have been born at the bottom of a mountain called Mount Gerizim. They let anybody do this up here. <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> but when Nehemiah are coming back and they're, 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 they've rebuilt part of the temple, they're rebuilding the walls. Well, the temple, the place of sanctuary, the place of God had already and still existed up near Mount Gerizim. It had not been as grand as the one that Solomon had built in Jerusalem. But that temple was still there and they could go and worship. Sanballat was a Samaritan. Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. The ending of the Nehemiah story is a little bit messy. <laughs> it's not perfect. They rebuild the walls, but turns out they haven't rebuilt their hearts so when we're reading this rebuild story and we read someone like Sanballat the Horonite who's a Samaritan, part of the reason he was so upset was Nehemiah said, Samaritans don't have a place in this city. Fast forward nearly 400 years, Jesus shows up and the disciples say, we're going to go around Samaria. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go straight through it. And he encounters a woman that is drawing up water from the well. And he says, can I get a drink? And she says, sir, you don't have a bucket. And he says, the type of water that I'm talking about, you don't need a bucket because it is like a living water that will flow through you. And she says, sir, see, you see things, you know things. Do you know which is the better temple, the one on Mount Gerizim or the one in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, none of that matters. I don't care where you think you're rebuilding this. What I am creating is a stream of living water that will flow through you and in you. And Jesus welcomes in the woman at the well and Sanballat the Horonite who was a Samaritan and did the very thing that Nehemiah couldn't do. Friends, whatever God is rebuilding in your life right now, it is part of a larger stream. It is part of a larger, beautiful construction to what the writer of Hebrews says is a city built by God. And what God builds, nothing can destroy. And if it feels hard and difficult, it's because it is. And if you have this voice of disbelief, forget the haters. Because God, what God is rebuilding is going to continue, and God will be faithful. Tonight, for our story of rebuilding, I've asked Monty Mabry if he would share it with us. As he comes forward, I wonder if you'll call out a word that you'd want to bless him with, a prayer. Woo! 
Monty uh, has been a part of this community for many years and, and serves in several servant leadership roles. So Monty, thanks for sharing with us tonight. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Let's talk about a rebuilding. About 12 years ago, I experienced a loss of a loved one. It was my wife of 32 years. It was a total shock. She had not been ill or in the underlying illness that she or I knew of. She was recently celebrating her recent retirement of 20 years from St. Luke's United Methodist Church, where she had been on staff. A church where we had raised our, excuse me, a church where she had grown up and a church where we had raised our son and attended. The evening that she passed away, we were just returning from dinner at a local at a neighborhood restaurant that she really liked. Once inside, I proceeded to go on into the bedroom and get ready for bed, and she was following me. It, she appeared out of sorts at, at first, and then, standing at the foot of the bed, she suddenly collapsed and fell on the floor. I immediately raced to her, trying to see what was wrong. I dialed 911. And then I tried to uh, administer CPR to her. For a moment, she regained consciousness and spoke to me and asked me what I was doing. The paramedics arrived within minutes of calling and started working, trying to revive her. After what seemed like forever, which was probably 30 minutes, one of the paramedics said that they were going to need to transport her to the hospital. At that moment, I felt God talking to me and letting me know that I was going to find out something when I arrived at the hospital. When I arrived, I was met by a doctor and a Methodist clergy. When I looked into the minister's face and into his eyes, I could already see what the doctor was about to tell me, that my wife had passed. The minister graciously gave me a few moments to gather myself, and then he asked me if I'd like to pray. As we prayed, thoughts raced through my mind, trying to make sense of what just occurred and how I was going to deal with it. He stayed with me for the next couple of hours, trying to help me get through what was my biggest fear. I needed to call our son, Monty. Monty and his mom had an extremely close bond. I was not sure how he was going to, how the news would affect him. It was also a Friday night, about 11.30. He was in his last semester at A&M, and I needed him to come home, but I needed him to be safe. See, it was the spring semester, and his fraternity was winding down of all their events. The last thing I needed was for him to be on the road racing toward Houston. The Methodist minister talked with me for a while, and he suggested that I call one of my son's closest friends. And I thought about it, and I finally reached out and called his girlfriend and told her that his mom was in the hospital and that I would appreciate if he would drive Monty back to Houston and get him home. She said she would. I immediately hung up the phone 
and I called my son to let him know that his mom was in the hospital, but I had already talked to his girlfriend, Marissa, and she agreed to drive him home. About an hour and a half later, I get a call from my son. They're pulling into the parking, parking garage the hospital. I told him I would meet him at the entrance. As I walked out the entrance, I see my son, his girlfriend, and eight of his closest friends surrounding him. They all drove from College Station to be with him and to be with me. As I reflect on this and thought about it many times, God was there for me at my lowest point. He was there the entire night to help me get through and help me and my son to get through it. God has always showed up when I needed him the most. I don't blame God for my wife's death. I don't blame God for the mistakes I've made. But I do thank him for sticking by me and carrying my burden. God has helped me rebuild and move forward in my life. I have remarried to a wonderful woman, Fran. She has amazing faith and has helped me so much in my journey. She is the grandmother to my son and his wife's two-year-old daughter. And she calls Fran Mimi. As a part of this Mercy Street community, I have seen so much rebuilding through your celebrations, and I've gotten to see it firsthand. The radical grace of God. This community has enlightened me and provided me with the tools and the determination to guide me through any obstacles that, might, that life might throw my way. As we have studied the book of DMI this month, it tells that he started with a prayer to God and that Nehemiah alone could not rebuild the walls by himself. He had help of many to complete this task, and I had help of many to get through mine. Thank you.